Welcome to Lakeside Church's message podcast. Our prayer is that you fall in love with Jesus, find your church family, live in freedom, and be active in your purpose. Let's join the message already in progress. Well, we are going to go into the Word, into the book of Ephesians. Amen? So you should have got a paper when you came in. If you didn't, you can raise your hand and somebody can, can make their way to you. I'm going to open up in prayer, and then we are going to talk a little bit as we we study through this book. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. Lord, this is your word. It's not mine. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts to listen and obey and be changed, and do with us what you will, God. We open our hearts and our lives to you right now, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, if, if you've jumped in today, if this is your first time with us, or if you've been out a little bit, um, we're reading through the book of Ephesians, and we're, we have a couple more weeks left, and we've, we've not gone through a book this slowly before, but I think that it's good. If everybody enjoying it, you guys that have been here, I know well, I am, and that's okay. You know, I, I'm the one that has the mic, so that's all right. But we're going to go through Ephesians, and um, a little background about this. It was a city that was a powerful city. It was the center of, uh, of pagan life in the Roman part of Asia. Um, it was a financial center. Ephesus had about maybe 250,000 people in the city, which if you think of an ancient city with no internet and power, and, you know, that's pretty crazy. They were able to hold a lot of people there. And they had this temple there that was um, dedicated to the fertility goddess. It was like a, 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 a sex cult, and the whole city was built around it. It was wealthy, and a church started there. And the church came. Paul shows up. He meets 12 people, it says in the book of Acts, and he talks to them about the Spirit of God. And then he spends two years there, and it says the whole city got turned upside down, like people stopped going to the temple and the idol, and that was a big deal. Because even people who probably didn't even believe in the idol, like, they made money off the idol. Just like if you're in Disney World, you don't have to love Mickey Mouse to make money off a Mickey Mouse t-shirt, you know? So they were, they were selling these little idols, these little souvenir-type things to all the pilgrims and visitors, and people stopped buying them. And this whole city got turned upside down and Paul um, gets dragged before uh, about 24, 25,000 people who are rioting, basically asking for his head. And they, Paul leaves the city. His guys don't let him go before the, the riot, and Paul has to leave. And so Paul writes in this letter. And in what we've read so far in this letter is, number one, it's important um, not to cherry-pick verses. Like, most of us are really bad. We cherry-pick verses. What does that mean? We open our Bible, and we pick one verse, and we forget that there's, like, a whole chapter there or a whole book. And so when you cherry-pick verses, you wind up just making junk up. That's why people have some bad theology, because they just pick one verse. Just the same way with any politician, whether you like them or not, you take one thing they said, and you could turn it around however you want. But we do that with the Bible. So Paul, he, let's, let's think of what he's saying in this Bible. In chapter 1, he writes the book, um, this, book chapter, this book of Ephesians, um, to the saints and the faithful in Christ Jesus. And so that's, that's who he's writing to. The theme of the verses was being in Christ. 
Um, you know, he's writing to them about the importance of being in Christ and, and all the different um, responsibilities that we have and the privileges that we have of being in Christ. And then he, he talks about being sealed with the Spirit and the people there that were, um, were sealed with the Spirit. And so now um, we're going to be going into um, these scriptures where Paul had just talked to a group of people who were um, sealed with the Spirit of God. And the first thing he says is in the book of Ephesians um, chapter 2, verse 14 through 22 is where we'll go to. The book of Ephesians chapter 2, actually we'll start on verse 19. Um, now let's go up to 14. 14 says, For he himself is our peace. He has bro- uh, made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. A lot of y'all are sitting there saying, Huh, I don't get it. What is Paul talking about? One of the biggest issues that the early church had is not an issue that you have, but I think you can get something. So he writes a lot about this, but I'm going to cover this piece kind of quickly. One of the first problems that they had is we all know Jesus was Jewish, right? He was a Jewish man uh, from Israel. Most of the, all of the first believers were Jewish, but very quickly Paul goes around and gets all these dirty Gentiles. And why do I say dirty Gentiles? Because that's what the Jews thought about them. Jews had washing rituals. Gentiles, not so much. Jews ate specific food. Gentiles picked lobster out of the ocean and was like, mmm, tasty. Look at a lobster. It might taste good, but it looks gross. And the Jews were like, those guys are gross. Now, I'm a Gentile. I am not Jewish. I'm not Jewish. But the Jews were like, ah, these Gentiles, these Jewish believers. They were having a hard time accepting these Gentile believers. These Jewish people, they took bat. I mean, even baptism is a symbol of all the washings they had. They were very clean. Sometimes Gentiles, Gentiles, kind of stinky. Jewish people remind me of my daughters. My daughters are clean. My boys are gross. And the girls and the boys will play nice, but sometimes the boys are just like, they got no shirt on, walking around their underwear, and they're just like, hey, Dad. I'm like, get some clothes on. The girls, you know, they get their nails done, they fix their hair, and they had to learn how to play nice. So although we don't really have a big Jewish-Gentile issue, at least we shouldn't, we still have hostility with people. There still might be some people group that you don't like, And if that's in your heart, that's wrong. That's not good. It shouldn't matter the color. It shouldn't matter the smell. Now, sometimes you notice smell. This lady cut my hair yesterday. I'm not speaking anything about race, but she did stink. And every time she went, she lifted up her arm, and I was like, dear God. You know, but you can't say nothing because then she'll mess your haircut up. So you just got to kind of suck it up. Be like, she'll mess up my fade, so I'm going to hold my breath because you don't want to mess up fade. That's for a long time. But there was a wall of hostility between these people, a wall of hostility. And what Paul is saying is that Christ came and he broke it down. And he preached those who were far off. The Gentiles were far off. The Jews were near. He preached peace to both of them. We are all saved through Christ. It doesn't matter what color you are, what you smell like, what you dress, what you eat. It doesn't matter how tall you are, how short you are, 
um, we have peace through Christ, through the blood that he shed. We're all at the foot of the cross asking for the same mercy and the same forgiveness. And we shouldn't have hostility with each other. That, that what Tiffany was talking about, forgiveness was good. And so Paul is basically starting off a little bit, and he's like, hey, um, get it together. Stop treating each other poorly. Be nice. And one thing you should know is, you know, you can be a Gentile and be a Christian. That's why we all haven't become Jewish, thank God. We're, I'm, I'm not Jewish, but I'm a Christian. And there are Jewish people that are also Christians. And that's, you can write that on your paper, is you can be a Gentile and be a Christian, and you'll notice people that cherry-pick verses there's some people that they'll try to put a yoke of bondage on you even today. I know friends even today that have been called on the carpet. They're like, well, if you believe in Jesus, you should do this, that, and the other. And I respect the law, but I don't have to be under the law. I don't have to follow the law. I'm, I'm a Gentile. I'm a free believer, saved by the blood of Jesus. I don't have to worship on a special day, and I don't have to eat a special diet. Now, I can if I choose to, but so just keep that because a lot of the New Testament is about that, even though that's not an issue we deal with today. But let's get into the part that I really want to get to, and that's verse 19. It says, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So that's a very important thing. It's that you are fellow citizens. A citizen is somebody that has all the rights privileges and responsibilities of the kingdom. And you can write that in. You are fellow citizens. You have all the rights, the privileges, and the responsibilities of the kingdom. Being Hispanic, I've known people that are in this country and they're not citizens. It's really hard to get a license if you're not a citizen. It's really hard to pay taxes if you're not a citizen. When the police stop you and I... I got my papers, all right? Some of y'all looking like, that guy's Cuban. He should have papers, right? No, I do have my papers. My family, I am legal. I was born here. I'm an American. But I can really identify with what it's like to know somebody who's not, and I'm not making a judgment call, but I'm giving you a reality that if you're in a land and you are not a citizen, it's not easy. I'm not saying they should be here or not. But I'm saying too many of us were in the kingdom of God and we've forgotten that we're citizens of God's kingdom. You have rights, you have privileges, and you have responsibilities. All that comes with being a citizen. And that you, that, that's good. Some of us are acting like we're immigrants into the kingdom. Like you snuck in heaven's gate and Jesus didn't see you. No, but you, if you believe in Jesus... You're not a stranger. You're fellow citizen. That's good. And it comes with all three of those rights, privileges, and responsibilities. The next thing it says is that we're members of his household. Now, that's a word that goes back to the, the family, where the father, the patriarch, you know, would, would take care and have the job of providing for the family. And you are a member of God's household. Now, you've got to change your thinking that even if you're a man in here, or even if you think it's your job, if you're a single mother or somebody, that it's your job to provide for your family and your job to make it all go, is, is no, you're part of God's family. It's God's job to take care of you. Now, I love all of you in here. Tiffany has become a dear friend. Rhonda, a dear friend. Buck, a dear friend. Allison, I love these people. I love the people in this church. 
but you're not part of my household. It's not my job to make sure you eat tonight necessarily. Now, if I find out anyone in here is hungry, as long as I have extra money, I'll feed anybody in this church. I promise you. I'll make sure you don't go to bed hungry. But I'll buy my kids sneakers, sometimes even when they don't need a new pair. You come to me, and you ask me for a pair of sneakers, and I'm like, those look pretty good, brother. And Robert's like, but those Nikes over there are nice. They are. (laughs) He wants them. No, but here's the deal. Members of the household, it's a different level of privilege, a different level of responsibility. And you are part of God's family. Now, the other thing about being part of the household is very similar to being a citizen. You come over to my house and I feed you. We may make one pot of rice and one pot of beans and one thing of chicken, and we all eat at the table, and I treat you like part of the family, but really you're not part of my household. The benefit of that is that when it's done, we have to do the dishes. Y'all don't say praise God because dishes are terrible. So we're responsible for doing the dishes and washing the clothes and, and doing all that stuff. I don't invite you over and say, Buck, why don't you come over here, man? Grab that, ba- that basket of underwear and just start folding, brother. <laughs> Match these socks because you're not part of the household. But if you're part of God's household, you have the privilege and you have the responsibility. And they, they don't come separately. Some of us focus too much on the responsibility, and you think that God treats you like a slave, and, oh, God makes me do all these chores, and you're like a whiny little kid. Can you take the trash out? (laughs) 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 You ever have kids, you ever ask your kid to do something, and you're like, I'm going to hold me back. (laughs) And then some of you, you want to go eat all the food, but you never want to do a chore. It's privilege and responsibility. And it's a privilege to serve because it's your house. And as you grow up and as you were mature, didn't you realize that about your house? Especially when you moved out of your house and you went back to your parents' house. My mom was a great mom. She usually did a lot of the cleaning, if not all the cleaning. I didn't do dishes. I'm just telling you, I I didn't do dishes. I'm not saying it was right or wrong. I just didn't. But now I go over there after having done dishes for years, after a meal, I'm like, Mom, let me help you out. Because this is your house, and it's my house too. And Come on, let me help you out. No, sit down, Mom. Privilege and responsibility. And then it goes on, and it says a few more things um, in that scripture right there. It says, verse uh, 20, it says, We're built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. That's representing the New Testament apostles, Old Testament prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Cornerstone is the most important stone. If you you, you would place it first and it would tell how high the foundation is, you would line every stone up. Picture if I put a big block here, the block is this high, every other stone would have to be that high. If the block was facing this way, every other stone would have to be in line with this stone or in line that way with this stone. It set the the tone for the whole building, the foundation. See, we are built on the foundation with Christ being the cornerstone. Verse 21, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In whom you, that's y'all, 
there's a plural you, y'all, are being built together into a dwelling place for God in the Spirit. That's the next thing, is that we are being built together to be a dwelling place of God's presence. Do you look at your life that way? You're not built separately. God never pours the Spirit out on you. He pours it out on y'all. He pours it out on multiple people. A holy temple lined up with Christ as the cornerstone. A dwelling place for God's presence. God's presence lives inside of you. God's presence. And isn't that, if we go back and we think about the other weeks, and I encourage you to go back and listen, we talked about how Paul has talked about being sealed with the Spirit. We talked about how Paul has talked about having a spirit of wisdom and revelation. And now Paul goes back and he's like, not only are you sealed, but the Spirit of God is supposed to dwell in you. Like God is supposed to live inside of you. Chapter 3, verse 1. For this reason, in other words, because of what God is wanting to do and build you up into this temple and make you part of his household, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. In other words, this is such an awesome calling that I'm willing to be put in prison for it. Paul eventually gave his life for it. I, a Paul, a prisoner, a Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. Do you know sometimes God gives you grace and it's not even for yourself? It's for others. God gave Paul grace. God gave me grace that was given to me for you. See, uh, 2015, the last day that we were living in Missouri, we had spent seven years there. Um, helping out in one church and planning a satellite campus. And I remember the last week we had invested our lives in there. The last week was crazy because we were packing. We didn't sell the house until the very last day we left. I got to preach one more time. I baptized like people in the river. It was like out of a movie, like the final scenes of a movie. We're down this river and it's like, like a big nasty Missouri river. It was stinky and the water was gross. But we're like, get on in here. We're going to baptize you. And and then this lady gave birth, like we, we had met this lady and she was young, she was in her early 20s, and she didn't have any other family there. And so like she's giving birth in the hospital and my wife is there like helping her out and like push, push, <laughs> like a stranger, you know, but that we had met in Christ and led her to the Lord. And I'm like, how, how, what a crazy life that this lady from the Bronx and this guy from Miami are out in the middle of nowhere baptizing people in the river and then with people they're like I know you love me come be in the hospital with me come be there with me while you give birth and it was just this crazy thing but I know God has given me grace for others and what I want you to get out of this is I recognize that just as God had done that for Paul I felt like he's done it for me God has also done that for you there's grace that God has given you that is not for you it is for others it's not for you. You have a plan. You have a calling. God has something unique and special. 
keep reading. Um, we're going to skip down to verse 7 of chapter 2. It says, Of this gospel of which I was made a minister, that means servant, according to the gift of God's grace, grace given to me for others, which was given to me by the working of his power, to me, who am the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So Paul says, and I, I, I take it for me, and I believe this is for some of you in here, is that he was a steward of the gospel of Christ. That this gospel of salvation, this word that has power, God had given it to Paul, and he's given it to me, and I must share it with others, and I've shared it with some of you, and some of you have heard it from others, and in your call to steward it and to take care of it. It's not your word. It's not your gospel. You're just bringing it to others, God, stewards of the gospel of Christ. Number, the next thing is that you are ministers of the grace of God. We need to be graceful people, giving things, treating people in ways they don't deserve. Kind of a simple way to understand grace and mercy, and you can go deeper than this. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Grace is getting something you don't deserve. But treating people and loving people in ways they don't deserve. Loving them, taking them the gospel. And then the next thing is preaching the unsearchable riches of Christ. Like unsearchable. You'll never get to the bottom of it. You'll never figure it out. But God has done this in Christ, and that's why we are to bring light to everyone. Not just to the people that look like us, not just to the people that sound like us, but that's the last thing is we are preaching the unsearchable riches of Christ, and we are bringing light to everyone. Light, light just makes clear what is already there, what God has already done in the gospel. Let's keep reading because I, I want you to catch something. Verse 10, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. So, God's eternal purpose is that the church makes known the wisdom of God. God pours the Spirit out onto y'all, and God wants y'all to make His wisdom and His power known. So that's that verse right there. Is God's eternal purpose is that the church makes known the wisdom of God. And then His death gives us confident access. You can write this down. His death gives us confident access to God through faith in Him. He died for us. And, and if you look at it in the most simple terms, if God was going to die for you when you were His enemy, when that you were lost in sin and dead in your transgressions, how good is He going to treat you now that he's your, you're His kid? You're in the household now. When you were on the outside of the household and an enemy opposed to Him, He loved you so much He died for you. Now you're on the inside of the family. You're part of the family. How much better is He going to treat you? It's unsearchable. Unsearchable. 
And we keep reading. It says, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father, verse um, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. That was verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So Paul is praying for them. I pray for you. We have a team of intercessors that pray for you. There are people, if you want to join and be a part of this church, you're saying, well, what could I do? Well, our goal is that everybody would do something. We have people that they say, you know what? I don't want to put down chairs. I am not a very hospitable person, but I love to pray. And so they pray all service for the people that are sitting here in the church. They pray that God would open their eyes and touch them. We have other people that they want to play music or work with kids or be involved in outreach. We have some guys that are like, I can't do any of that, but I could build stuff. You need something built? I'll build it. I'll move stuff. I mean, everybody doing their gifts, coming together, and then it says that we are being built into a temple in the Lord. Verse 16, or I'm sorry, verse 18, that we might have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, and height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that we may all be filled with all the fullness of God. Let's take it back to what he said earlier. Christ is the cornerstone. You want to know the length, the width, the depth. That first stone sets everything clear about the foundation. Everything God wants to express was expressed in Jesus Christ on the cross, dying for you when you were his enemy. And if you could wrap your mind around that and through faith believe in that, and if in your heart you could have just the grain of mustard seed of faith just a little bit to say, God, you love me when I didn't deserve it, I believe that. You love me when I was wicked and when I was lying and when I was deceiving everybody else. You love me then. I believe that. And if you have just that much faith, his power is released into your life. And he begins to change you and begins to fill you. And so Paul's praying that you would be strengthened and that you would know how deep his love is. And so chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, we're going to end here. It says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. It's almost as if, have you ever gone somewhere with your parents? Uh, my mom, when I was little, she, my, my, uh, my mom was a very sweet lady. She's still a sweet lady. And she was kind of like, I want to say frail, but she never was like big and bulky. She never was really fat. She was always kind of thin. But my mom had this amazing power is that when I got out of line someplace... And I wasn't walking in a manner worthy of being her son. She would just come over and, like, without anybody seeing, she'd be like, Any, anybody else's mom do crazy stuff that you might get arrested for today? But, like, in Kmart, we used to go to Kmart, and I remember being like, ah, my ears, like, all the way around. And I'm like, yes, yes, mommy, yes, yes. 
And so, you know, I've, I'm growing up, and, you know, they want your, you want your kids to be better than you. And so I, my kids, I don't, I don't really have to do that. But sometimes before we go in a store, this, I don't think this is illegal, but I say, we're going in there. And, I, you know, I got crazy eyes. Anybody else? We're going in the store. Don't ask for anything. I, don't touch anything. And stay together. <laughs> Hold hands. All right, let's go. <laughs> and they're like, Daddy's crazy. So I don't even have to pull ears. My mom, she just yanked me around. But Paul's saying, walk worthy in the manner. Walk worthy in a manner worthy of the calling. Worthy of your name. Worthy of your responsibility. And my daughter knows that's true. I'm not just kidding. I mean, I do give them that talk. But as they grow, I don't have to say anything because they've internalized this. They know how to act. Do you know how to act? God's telling you how to act. If these words don't describe you, if you can't take your name and put them next to all the words in this verse, hear God today. Hear God's word today. Because God may not have grabbed you by the ear and twisted it and pulled you around. And God, way better than me, he's not going to show you his crazy eyes. But he's talking with all humility, gentleness, and patience. Bearing with one another in love. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. How is that demonstrated? Well, we should pray for each other to be strong in his power just like Paul did. We should pray for each other is the first one. The second one, we should walk worthy of our calling. And then the very last thing that you can write in, and I hope this describes you because I try to make it describe me, is we should handle each other humbly, gently, patiently, and lovingly. Is that you? Uh, I'm going in that direction. Even with my kids, and my kids can tell you, I'll, I'll come up and I'll say, hey, daddy made a mistake. That's not easy as a dad when you make a mistake and you can own it. It's not easy as a husband. Gently, patiently, and lovingly. But when we know the love of Christ, the length, the width, the depth, the cornerstone, and we line ourselves up with that and get in line, that's really what it looked like. Christ was humble. He was gentle as a dove. He was patient. And he was loving. While we were enemies, Christ died for us. And now we've been made part of his family, his household, which comes with rights, privileges, and responsibilities. Would you bow your heads with me real quickly, please? I don't know where you're at in your walk with God. I don't know. I don't know where you're at. But God certainly does. And in your heart of hearts, you do. If you've not been walking worthy, this is not a time for shame or guilt. I don't want to put any guilt on you. Jesus took the guilt on the cross. 
I don't want to put any shame on you. Jesus was ashamed on the cross, naked, and he died for you so that you could be clothed with glory. But if, you're not wa- if you've not walked worthy of his calling and you, you realize that, and you'd like to commit today to apologizing to him and living differently, I would like to pray with you right now. If that's you, you've not been walking worthy of the calling of God that's on your life. And you'd like to apologize to the Lord and you'd like the strength to live differently. Would you put your hand up right where you're at? Amen. 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 I'm going to tell you just what you need to do as the music plays. We're going to take about two or three more minutes. Just begin to tell the Lord you're sorry. And even if you didn't raise your hand, just right there, right at your seat, this is between you and God. Just begin to tell the Lord you're sorry. Confess your sin. Begin to thank Him that you're forgiven. And ask Him for strength to be different. Hey guys, I'm Bob. <laughs> <laughs>